Hello and welcome to Shrinkcast, episode 15. I can't believe it's been 15 episodes. Um, wow, what an amazing journey. And uh, we're going to try something new today. Um, as you may have noticed, we've kind of been weaving for the first 15 episodes of the Shrinkcast through different kinds of content or approaches or even a vast array of topics. And as you know, with anything in life, the first draft is a deeply informative draft, right? The first time we ever have a partner, (laughs) the first time we ever live with someone else who is not part of our family, um, don't we learn so much about ourselves? And, um, and so here at the Shrinkcast, I have been listening to what has seemed to gain traction, you know, what, I, what I've heard back from people or people have brought up to me as content that's been meaningful. And, and then also, you know, what I've noticed is kind of just not really clicked, right? Um, and I think so often in, in first drafts, we can get discouraged and say we're failing. Um, I've had those moments. And I think at other times in first drafts, we have an opportunity to maybe flip that and go, wow, what is, what is unfolding, right? What is getting clearer? And um, something that has been clear to me is I, um, I know that the shrink cast here at Kessid um, which in case you're tuning in for the very first time, Kesset is a mental health nonprofit based in Denver. And um, we're here to make it possible for everyone who does not have coverage to be able to have a, access to a counselor or wellness provider they can afford. And um, our team has been deeply passionate about asking the question of, what does it mean to reimagine or expand accessibility beyond uh, the therapy room, right? The one hour a week or maybe even one hour a month where you have this set aside space for your mental wellness. And what does it mean for us as therapists, as practitioners to embody these things that we talk about with our clients. And so the shrink cast was really born out of this spirit and, um, and wanting to have a portal that is totally free, right? Like you may be doing your dishes right now, or you may be sitting at your office desk or in your car or on a scooter. Um, (laughs) like me sometimes listening to podcasts. I don't know if that's safe. Um, But uh, we all can come here for free. And um, in the U.S., um, many, even at the poverty level, have access to a smartphone. And so for us, we are also thinking about, you know, what would it be to create material that people who may not be able to resource even $60 to come to Kessid, which is our standard rate, and that's less than 50% of what counseling services are at market rate most everywhere. And um, 
Many people who can't afford $60 for a counseling session also don't necessarily qualify for public health insurance, which makes medical care free um, or mental health care free. And, um, and so we wanted this to be that place, right? That place where um, maybe you can take something we talk about here into your life. And maybe therapists can show up uh, in a new kind of space outside of the therapy room, which is where we were trained to engage um, our clients and, and um, our work. Um, but as we know, as humans, mental wellness is, um, it's what it means to be human, right? Like, um, if you look up a definition of mental health, it has everything to do with well-being. What is well-being? Well, it's really hard to divide your psychology, right, your mental wellness from your physical wellness. Um, if I have a migraine, I'm probably not in the best mood. <laughs> um, if I'm feeling joyful, um, I probably am not navigating a fever. Um, now, not that those things can't transcend, right? Like so much of life is learning to hold space for discomfort, whether that's discomfort is physical or emotional, while also engaging oh, centeredness, which is where joy comes from, right? Um, that inner peace, which can transcend external feedback rather than being on the treadmill that sprints towards the next, um, piece of, uh, thing or experience or, um, taste or sight that somehow soothes, we return to our core. And, um, and what I realized was the material for the shrink cast was starting to feel a little bit too out there, right? Like things that I was already hearing, you know, here's this researcher, here's, um, my perspective on this part of insurance or whatever may be. And, um, I found myself really loving getting lost in conversation with our interviews I think that there's something to that. There's something to the presence of story and connection and inviting all of us into that space. But then I found myself in my own podcasts either <laughs> breezing through the time and looking up and it's 12 minutes and I'm like, okay, so what am I going to make up right here now? Or um, it feeling just really rigid and authenticity is a core value of ours here at, at Kesed. Um you know, we talk about the fact that therapists are human. Um, I've seen so often people be averted from therapy because it doesn't feel like a human experience and it's about the depths of our humanity, isn't it? It's about the core of what gives us the motivation to keep showing up at that job that we don't love because we love our family or because we don't know what else to do or because this is what we were told is what you should do 
or have to do or need to do, right? And, um, and so I came to this place where I realized I want to brush through maybe some of that um, learning of these first 15 episodes and try out a new kind of series over the summer. And the series, um, it's terrifying to me. I'm going to let you <laughs> let you know that. Do you ever have that where you are like, yeah, I got clarity. And what feels clear is actually scarier now. So I would, <laughs> I would love to go back to the time when I didn't have the clarity right now. Ugh. Or like that thing, right? Like so many times you want that relationship and then you get into a relationship and then you're about eight months in and you're like, whew. Remember all that independence? <laughs> We're always uh, in this dance, right, between the two sides of the thing. Um, if you know me, you know that I love to speak. I love to connect with people in spaces. Um, well, I really am, prefer in person, right, where like we can look in each other's eyes. And I'm, and, and I'm actually looking in your eyes and we're talking and we're having this experience together around this idea or around this way that we can engage our humanity, right? And by the way, I just realized my window is open. So you are hearing somebody outside my condo, um, which by the way, that's another thing. I'm going to do my best with sound because... We all get annoyed when there's um, too much background noise and we're trying to be present, um, and that's important to me. But I also want to acknowledge that I, I'm inviting you into my space. <laughs> um, I'm inviting you into to where Kesset is at as an organization. Right now, we're actually looking for a headquarters. We are... Um, we are uh, able to do co-working um, through different creative ways like coffee shops or um, space that's not yet full at one of our sites, but um, we don't right now have a headquarters. We, um, we have all of our counseling sites, which is our top priority, and we have intentional times for our team to gather, but we're looking for that. And in the meantime, we get to do the shrink cast in the quiet of my condo as possible. <laughs> Quiet as possible. Um, so anyway, this series is um, this summer going to be about what I'm learning. Um, I am a licensed therapist. In Colorado, I am what's called a licensed professional counselor. And um, it's so easy as a therapist to feel this requirement, um, definitely for me, feel what I would say is a cultural norm, um, to show up from a sense of expected perfection, right? Or we communicate our vulnerability in a way where we were going through this thing right? We were going through this thing, or this is what we've been learning, right? So it's these sides of like, um, I call it pseudo vulnerability. 
I'm sure Brene Brown has a better word for it, but that's mine. And um, it's this way where we are trying to be real, but we're only going to be very, very safely real. And um, and one of the things that uh, when when I founded Kesed three years ago, um, we knew that it was important to have a mission and vision that eliminated the roadblocks. Um, about one in four Americans experience when it comes to not being able to resource affordable mental wellness care. Um, and we wanted to change that. But deep down, we also knew that what really makes Kesed innovative, what will actually make us relevant long term and not just riding the next edge of whatever is, <clears throat> excuse me, the fad, um, but what actually makes Kesed really unique is that we want to create a space where clinicians can thrive. About, um, I read a research study in 2012 that uh, up to two out of three counselors are burning out, right? And burnout includes um, depression, um, predispositions to addiction, significant mood changes, isolation, loneliness, lack of sleep. So we're talking about the people who are trained and equipped to hold space when we are at the crux of our life, right? Those people, up to two out of three of them, are burning out. And um, that's really close to my heart. Because I've been there. <laughs> In fact, I had a season about a year ago where I got to own with the Kesed team that I just got diagnosed with adrenal fatigue. And I know I've mentioned it here on the Shrinkcast before, but um, that was a moment where I got to look at myself and go, I am part of an industry that is about well-being. I am a licensed professional counselor within this. I am the founder of a mental health nonprofit about this. <laughs> and I just got diagnosed with something that was based out of too much stress for too long. Too many late nights and early mornings trying to get that next thing done. Too many yeses to meetings, believing that I had to do as much as I can, no matter what it cost my body or my mind or my spirit for the sake of the thing. And it has been a journey to first let myself own that, right? Like to, um, to name it. To say that that is real for you, right? Um, to maybe own that all those jokes about how much wine you have after you get off work or how much Netflix you binge watch or um, how many times you escape to go travel. You know, the line between self-care and not self-care is when we are using it to reinforce the very things that cause us 
to need more and more self-care. Do you hear me on that? Right? Like there are times when going on, I'm actually in a season of my life where going on consistent short-term vacations is so good. It's so good. It's so good. And, um, when I start to check out and get burned out, I find myself staring at a wall. (laughs) That's my cue. That's my cue of my thing, right? Or I start to, to cancel plans with friends. That's my other thing. I start to say, you know, I just need a lot more alone time. And there's some truth to that. I do need rest. I do need rest, but I also know my predisposition when I am burning out is I isolate because I don't feel like I have anything else to give. And what I do have to give, or if I'm actually going to be honest, I'm not sure that that is what people want. And so I isolate. And I'm at a place where um, Kesset is Kesset is three now, and and we as a team have made it very central to everything that we do behind the scenes to ask this question as of what does thriving as a therapist look like and how do we need to reimagine it because it's clearly not working. And what's really interesting is so much of the national conversation about mental wellness focuses on the experience of the client, which I think is so important because there are so many issues, i.e. why I created Cassid in the first place, um, about the client's experience. But I never hear in any of the state initiative meetings I've been part of, the national initiatives I've advocated with, the uh, conversations in our news lines. I, I, I rarely, never isn't a fair word, but I very, very rarely hear about a focus on helping clinicians thrive, helping counselors thrive, helping wellness practitioners thrive. And that includes fair pay. (laughs) And that includes a fair client load. And that includes consistent, thoughtful support. And that includes room to learn. And that includes boundaries of work and life balance. And that includes healthy work environments, both emotionally and physically. Right? That includes us embodying the Brene Brown books that we keep handing out to all of our clients. <laughs> and um, yeah, we, uh, we've gotten to move with this whole idea of thriving um, at Kesed over the last three years and learned a lot. Um, I, think, I think I've learned that I... Don't believe failure exists. I believe opportunities to learn exist, which come with every draft and isn't that life, right? Like we so often live in this view of like a rival. And I even see it in therapists too. Let's figure out our plan to be as healthy as possible and all the things that we can put in place to make sure that happens, right? Rather than just entering the thing rather than just entering the thing, right? And, and listening and finding what it feels like to find our center and finding what it feels like. Uh, a really good friend of mine, um, and I'm actually doing some more writing and thoughts on this idea, but 
a good friend of mine recently, um, she and I were talking about how over the last year, she's had this theme of, of telling me, Heather, find your six, right? If we were like thinking about, if we were thinking about life as like a six out of, or if we were thinking about life as like a zero to 10, right? And 10 is your max capacity. That is, you are in survival mode, barely making it, doing everything you can. You don't know what tomorrow looks like. You're doing it, right? And, um, One is um, life could not be easier. Maybe you're on vacation. Um, You're living at your one. So not a good to bad scale, but more of like a bandwidth scale. And um, what has become clear to me is when my friend first brought this up, she said, Heather, what is your six? And a year ago, I did not know how to answer that question. Um. That question is a really hard question to answer in your burnout. But I did uh, feel the safety in that friendship to say, I don't know how to answer that, rather than just bullshit some kind of answer. Um, And that friend just kind of moved with me through that process. We love to grab coffee together. We both have independent kind of work dynamics. And so sometimes we show up at coffee shops and just do our work at the same table, which I love just the presence of this friend. But over the last year, I've been finding what that six is. And, um, and I invite you to consider that question. What is your six, right? Like what is that temperature in your life where you actually have room to breathe? Like you don't always have the next thing or you don't always do counseling sessions um, where you're not able to go to the bathroom for 10 hours, (laughs) where it's back to back to back to back because you're so scared that you're going to have a cancellation and not be able to pay your rent. Right. I've been there. I've been there. And, um, And it makes so much sense. How in a profession where the role of counselor is to come alongside, the role of therapist is to be with, the role of therapist is to hold space, that we can slowly erode from first and always holding space with ourselves. And so this summer's series, I'm going to each episode share something new that I have been learning. Um, Self-disclosure is something that we talk a lot about when we are training to be therapists, how the counseling room is not the space. It's not about us, right? Therapy is a very unique space where the only goal is the well-being of the client. And, um, And it's important in the art of learning how to Again, navigate the spaces that are most human, the spaces that are most real to us, our loss, our trauma, our relationships, our shame. And it's important to know that that space is contained thoughtfully for, for the client. And, um, and yet... An issue therapists can so often have is leaving their humanity outside of the room when the reality is 
the only thing that we have to bring to the room is our humanity. It's our humanity. And, um, and coming with our humanity is everything we've learned in our training to be counselors, to be practitioners. And trusting that learning. But so often, I see counselors living in fear of their learning. In fear of being human. And um, I did a, I, I was a quality and compliance specialist for a time um, within the mental health industry. And um, one of the things that I worked so hard with counselors on was giving and working on their confidence to fail. And what I learned in that context was failure was basically defined as things not going how we wanted or how we believed they should. So want and should was the often the thing that accompanied that. And um, mental health work is very serious work. And it's a highly liable industry. And there are really important ethics that guide what we do. And protections and confidentialities and all of those things. And they are essential to making sure that that space we just talked about is created thoughtfully for the client. Um, and at the same time, when we stop being human, when we stop learning how to stay centered, when we stop listening for that inner wisdom that is in you, that is in us, when we stop remembering that we have invested in everything that we need to know to do this work thoughtfully. And if we don't know something, we know how to thoughtfully navigate not knowing. Number one, owning it. And number two, saying how you're going to find what you need, right? And then doing what's in the best interest of the client. But many of us are afraid to make any mistake. And unfortunately, many of us have worked in environments where it didn't feel like we could. Or we got punished the moment we did. Or in a way that we didn't even expect. And um, number one, I just want to get real about that. I think it's about time that we have a place to name that. And number two... I want to invite that uh, we do our best work when we are most human. We do our most thoughtful work when we are connected to ourselves. Which is why my diagnosis of adrenal fatigue was in my own way me hitting that wall that I needed to hit. (laughs) And that's not a very poetic symbol, but that actually is really what it felt like, right? The gift of that wall, the gift of, um, the gift of collapsing sometimes. And um, rather than thinking that's the end, truly, perhaps, in the spirit of the work that we believe in, and I often come from an acceptance and commitment perspective um, in the work that I that I specialize in with my clients and. Um, 
looking for the gift, right? Mindfully stepping back on the balcony and observing, riding the wave. That can be so important to learning what it means to thrive as a counselor. And so this summer series is for you, my friends, my friends who are in this thing called the mental health industry, the wellness industry, the mental wellness industry, psychology, psychiatry, welcome. Welcome. Um, Caseworkers, I feel like I need to give a shout out to all of you because if you don't know, if you are not a therapist, but for some reason you're really enjoying this content because it's all about the fact that therapists are fully human and aren't we all? And maybe it's nice to hear a therapist um, be candid, be real, open up this space. Um, If that's you, I want you to know there are so many beautiful expressions of what a mental wellness counselor, practitioner, coach, what all of that looks like. And... um, Shout out to my Reiki friends. Um, There's this beauty when you start to learn about the different nuances of people who work in inpatient facilities or people uh, who work in contexts like Kesed, which are outpatient counseling contexts, you know, or those who have their private practice or those who um, work with folks in their home or those who... um, do retreats or those who do video therapy or telehealth or work in crisis, right? Like there are, I just want to acknowledge you. And if I haven't covered something that you are part of and you want to call me out on it, I welcome that. Feel free to let me know what you do that you would like celebrated and you can fill out a contact form on our website. I invite you to do that. But what I, um, <laughs> what I want to do is simply say thank you. Thank you for leaning in to whatever stirred in you at whatever time in your life. And maybe it almost feels like a distant memory that it's not even real. Um, but whatever stirred in you to lean into this work, thank you. Thank you for... Um, Leaning in as well to the consideration that maybe we can do this work and thrive in pursuing conversations or podcasts to talk more about that. Um, I'm really, really excited for this, for this candid, I think probably going to be pretty fun, definitely awkward at points. That is, if my partner is listening to this right now, she is probably nodding her head. Yes. <laughs> Um, but I, I commit to this, this summer, I commit to being real. I commit to thoughtfully holding this space of what it means to be real, um, as a therapist and, um, recognizing that a podcast is a really neat invitation. Um, and I also commit to, uh, digging deep, right. To really like name what I think has been so critical to imagining 
I think this very question, what does it mean to thrive as a counselor? What are we learning to help us thrive? And I'm going to invite um, <laughs> some bold friends. Um, I'm going to make some bold asks and ask if some people will come on this podcast and do interviews with me to share what they are learning right now, how they are growing um, in their life. And um, if you are maybe a therapist, if you are maybe a counselor, if you're maybe a wellness practitioner, and that sounds fun to you, or that sounds like the kind of way that you can take a risk and show up, or that sounds like how you would want to show up in the world and maybe tell people a little bit about the work you do, um, again, feel free to contact um, us on our website at kessedwellness.com, K-H-E-S-E-D, wellness.com slash contact, and let us know. Let's talk about that because um, what would it be What would it be if we created a community of those of us who are deeply passionate about thoughtfully showing up in our lives because that has everything to do with the work that we do? And what would it be real, be to be real about that, to be real about the fact that this work has been hard on a lot of us for a long time, for a lot of reasons. And many of us don't even know that there's a choice of another way, but maybe Maybe through these conversations, we will find portals. We will find um, steps. We will find clarity. We will find that next draft. How's that for a wraparound? Um, So one of the things that I talk a lot um, with counselors, I... um, On the side, I often work with clinicians who are starting their first private practice. And um, it really came out of a place of just realizing how much I appreciate that space, how much I appreciate that time, how much I appreciate that risk. And um, with Kessid now being at the age that we are, there's some space for me to do that. And so I love it. And one of the things that I always, always, always find myself talking with clinicians starting their first private practice as well as clinicians who work at Kessid as well as myself um, is this concept of navigating our calendar like adult Tetris. Now, if you don't know what Tetris is, if you were not a child of the 90s for some reason and you did not have the experience of the gray and purple Game Boys, um, Number one, I'm sorry. And number two, I think it would be worth Googling Tetris um, because it is such a wonderful game. And um, Tetris essentially is a game of shapes. Um, These shapes fall from what seems like the sky and you can mold them um, before they land on the ground and start stacking on each other in ways that try and alleviate as many gaps as possible. That's kind of the goal of the game, right? So every shape is different and you try and mold it so that you try and get everything to fit as seamlessly as possible. That is the way that I see most counselors navigate their schedule. (laughs) In fact, I wonder 
Um, I don't know, but I wonder if you are someone who has um, worked in any kind of setting where you have to navigate intense deadlines with more material or projects or writing than seems humanly possible to accomplish this deadline. And that has become the norm of your life. You have continued to find yourself in places or spaces where that is expected. Maybe it was at school, maybe it was at a job, maybe it was part of a research project, whatever it may be. But you have experienced a level of intensity, let's say. And by the nature of mental health being this space for those who are not feeling totally stable to come, And by the nature of our, um, at least I can speak to the landscape of the U.S., being at a place where many are experiencing what they may call a mental health crisis as far as there's too much need and too little resources or money or staff or support to make everything that we need to accomplish possible, which means, what do we do? We play adult Tetris oftentimes. Um... In fact, I've even heard stories that um, there are so many clients that clinicians were asked to break down sessions, a session hour into 20 minutes so that they could meet with three different clients an hour. (sighs) Yeah. Now, whatever, uh, wherever that makes your mind go. Let's, for now, hold space for just that concept, right? That concept of when did we start to think that it was normal to create a schedule where I have been in numerous rooms and therapists joke about not having time to go to the bathroom for seven to nine hours because they literally had back-to-back-to-back-to-back sessions, so what that tells me, too, is they, they didn't have enough time to uh, go for a walk. It's a lot of sitting. They didn't have time to potentially eat or drink the kinds of um, nutrition they needed. They um, obviously didn't have time to connect with the outside world. So that is also seven to nine hours of holding space with people sometimes in their darkest seasons. And um, I know why we do it. Some of us, our spirit comes alive when we can show up and help. But we lose sight of how we first and always need to show up and help ourselves. I get it. Um, being a therapist has brought out the unhealthy, the most unhealthy sides of my desire to help at times. Um, Regardless of your spiritual affiliations, um, confronting this concept of an inner savior needing to save the world, that can create so many issues in being able to hold this space that needs to be held, can't it? Uh, And it often shows up in ways that we wouldn't maybe say are that, right? Like, for me, it showed up in in saying yes to too many sessions in one day. I had to learn what my max was. I had to learn, no, this is is the amount of sessions I can do. 
per day and still show up thoughtfully in my life and still feel rested and still feel like I can be present and still feel like I can move around like a human. And um, that, w- that was my place. And every person is different. Every person's rhythm is different. Some of my friends I know do love working um, 10 hour days and then doing that three days a week and having, you know, three tents and then a day for admin and a long weekend every week. Some of my friends in private practice thrive doing that. And some I know can only do a couple sessions a day and then spread everything else in that or look for jobs where that's possible. Um, you know, I learned, I, I, I had uh, the gift of getting to do the business side of mental wellness or mental health industry work uh, pretty early in my career. And I learned that I love I love thinking through the psychology of business, which also includes thinking through things like how we play adult Tetris. <laughs> how maybe if we shifted the question to finding our six, asking ourselves, what would happen? Like, what would happen if we said, what is living from a six look like in my schedule, right? Like what is like having a little heat, you know, some deadlines, some priorities, some routines. One of the things that I learned is self-care doesn't have to always feel fun. The core of my self-care practice is getting up early and having space to meditate and write. It doesn't always feel fun to say no to plans so that I can actually get a full night's sleep to wake up early and do what I know is so important to my self-care on a day-to-day basis. But that is in my schedule. And so I shift other things around it to make sure I have space to hold that priority. So what would it mean to carve out time for self and hold it as just as much of a priority as you would a session? And the fact that I even need to ask that question, and if you're a therapist, I'm assuming that resonates with you. Um, to me, that that shows why that statistic of up to two out of three therapists burn out um, at some point in their career, um, and for many, is a career-ending experience. To me, that, that question makes that real. <laughs> um, we got to find center which is something that we know in in, in many modalities, there's ultimately an invitation to what center looks like, what living from um, a healthy sense of self, an awareness of our inner wisdom, a a pursuit of security in how we engage the world around us, a sense of well-being. That is what allows us to be the best counselor we can be anyway, isn't it? So what would it be if we took our blocks more seriously, but if we intentionally lost at the game of Tetris, adult Tetris with our calendar? Um, so I have this story. It's a personal story about this, this idea that we're talking about of, well, what does it mean to thrive as a counselor? And um, what does it mean to show up as real? I don't quite know the title yet. Maybe it will come. But when I was uh, a senior in high school, 
I graduated young, so I was 17 when I graduated, and I was moving from uh, my mom's home just north of Dallas to uh, Chicago for school, uh, for college, and um, I was just 17, and so I I packed up my 2002 two-door white Honda Civic with a stick shift, and it would go a max of 40 miles up a hill, which I loved. That was so fun. (laughs) I actually really did love it. I thought it was great. Um, I kind of felt like, again, if you're a child in the 90s, apparently these jokes may continue in the spirit of the 90s, but um, Dumb and Dumber has a special place in my heart. And uh, I would, when I would be going up the hill at 40 miles an hour sometimes, and somebody would be in the car with me, I'd just look over and be like, can get 70 miles to the gallon on this hog. <laughs> she may be slow, but she can go for a long time. Um, anyway, uh, when I was about to leave for college and take this Honda Civic to the winters of Chicago, um, which she was a trooper through, my grandfather invited me to stop by his house and um, say goodbye. And... We were very close throughout my high school years. I had a really special, special childhood in that way of being deeply close to my my maternal grandfather. And I loved hanging out with him and my grandmother um, throughout high school, sometimes just going over there on a weekend and hanging out. I thought that was the greatest. And um, they will always be some of my most special memories that I will treasure. And... When he hugged me um, to say farewell, uh, he, of course, was nervous about my drive. (laughs) Now I look back, understandably so, Um, but I wasn't. And um, and then he said, you know, I I have a wish for you. And and it wasn't often that he would have something kind of formal to say um, like this. And so it, it perked my ears. But he said, Heather... As you head to college, may you walk more slowly and may you think more deeply and may you grow more closely to yourself and others and that which you believe. I know. Um... Even at 17, that, that got me. <laughs> Thinking back, it, it made me do some funny things as far as <laughs> I remember sometimes I would be walking to class as a freshman and that, and, and that memory would come to me, maybe because I was homesick. <laughs> and I would be walking and I would go, oh, okay, so I need to like literally walk slower. And I would, <laughs> and I would just... Oh, I want to hug 17-year-old Heather at college and tell her that she is loved and that she needed to buy a winter coat sooner. But um, what a gift, him telling me that. And um, that quote dissipated in my life for many years, but it came back to me. It actually came back to me in a deeply meaningful way this last year. Um, 
And uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, I, I went to a, a guided retreat. And this guided retreat placed emphasis on silence and meditation. Um, for all of my extroverts listening, um, I fully appreciate retreats where there is engagement. Um, and I know that this does not resonate with everybody, but but silence and meditation does resonate with me. But there's always this dynamic I have, and I have it too sometimes when I show up to like a yoga class where I'm coming in from my life and I'm showing up to this retreat and I think that I'm in a good place and I don't necessarily feel particularly stressed, but I walk into this room and it seems to be filled with people who are at a slowness of even how they speak or how they pause, or how they look at you. In fact, I made a joke to my friend that I went on this retreat with where we were talking about this dynamic, and he goes, um, you know, uh, I actually felt when I was walking out that one of the leaders looked into my eyes, but they looked into my soul, and I don't know that I invited them to. <laughs> Oh, that was so good. Oh, what a great joke. That was my friend, Jason. Um, Shout out to Jason for that joke because um, I've been there. I have been in a place where um, I have felt hurried and chaotic and sat with my friend. Sarah, who asked me, what is your six? And felt like my soul was being looked at. And it needed to be. And oftentimes it's those who maybe are at a place of inner peace and inner awareness. And you are not. That that can be that gift, that portal, that invitation to slow down. To slow down and maybe look in each other's eyes. Right? To slow down and maybe look into your own eyes. And I know that when I do have a consistent practice where I show up, like meditating, that is that is what it is for me. Um, in the mornings, I respond differently in my day. I show up differently. I speak differently. And oftentimes I do actually move slower, um, not at an awkward <laughs> cadence. Um, but maybe I, I am fully present. Um, and what do you know? Just like that, we are at 50 minutes. And um, if you are a therapist, you may have a unique appreciation that I just noticed we reached the 50-minute hour. But it has been a gift to be real with you all here um, and a little bit open to following thought. Um, I don't have a script. I have a, actually I have one of those old school yellow legal pads with the line in the middle. So I think maybe it was meant for like a columnist or a newspaper person. I I got it. I think at some random conference or something. And, um, on this retreat, I got some colored pens and I literally scribbled just key 
themes, adult Tetris is one of them, of things I wanted to um, move with in our time and let the rest come. And so um, summer, I think, is a time for invitation and also a chance to maybe create a little bit more space as people are on vacation and work may slow and to also allow your mind to maybe go where it needs to go. Um, but this is where it gets to go for me. So I thank you for this gift of trying this thing out and seeing where it heads. And um, I think as a way to close, I would, I would like for our time each time we engage this space to be free, but also for there to be some concrete or tangible thing for you to, to move with. And I think adult Tetris is definitely a theme for this one. But maybe one other thing you can hold each time, and maybe this is the question we'll circle back to, is what is one action step you can take toward your thriving? What is one action step that you can take to your thriving? For me, I'll name just a couple that come off my head, or come off my head, um, are on the top of my mind, on the top of my list. This is one of them. Being willing to change the shrink cast and try something out and show up in a way that I would love to see more counselors and see our industry show up. That's one way. Another way, meditation. Creating a daily, daily discipline, a daily rhythm where I show up for my self-care. That's a huge way that I help love myself and help thrive. Um, and then a third one. Um, to enjoy and receive the process. It's a big abstract idea, but one that I've learned is core to living at my six. To enjoy, to observe the process helps me learn what that center is to also get clear on when I'm off center. So what is your action step for your calendar, for your thriving? Our team every month gets together once a month and we have a group supervision time for our regional team and then um, of counselors and practitioners. And then we uh, have this time called Yes And. And Yes And is based off of that improv principle that I just adore about saying Yes And. I think that's so huge in all of life. But especially in a space where um, we are inviting new ideas. Kesset has core programming of counseling and wellness services through our sites that are in person um, and more kind of traditional experiences of what you think about when you think about counseling. But we have a team of people bursting forth with incredible ideas of books or retreats or groups or conferences or ideas that have never been thought of before. And what would it be to intentionally create a space every month where we can say yes and to those things? And so we did it. And a couple of months ago, we were talking about this idea of wellness because Kesed was founded by me, who is a mental health clinician with deep appreciation for wellness, but I am not a wellness practitioner. And we really want to grow not only our list of practitioners to help us form this, 
but also grow our just holding of what is wellness. And in the spirit of process and in the spirit of appreciation for um, humanity, one of our clinicians said, you know, I wish we would change the idea to as wellness as possible. Like as wellness as possible right now may mean something different than as wellness as possible tomorrow. But knowing that that changes, knowing that today will not be what tomorrow may be. Or tomorrow may be not what today has been. As wellness as possible. Rather than the sense of arrival, rather than a perfect calendar. <laughs> Centering. So maybe, maybe we'll close that way, friends, as wellness as possible. <laughs>